read um, the whole chapter, and it's page 1048 in the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, thanks, Tim. Good morning, everyone. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, just uh, some housekeeping. The toilet up there is out of order, so if you get there and it's locked, don't wait for someone to come out. You'll be there a while. Having just come back from camp, I feel like making a toilet-related joke, but probably best I don't. Uh, let's, um, let's pray as we begin looking at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and his life. We thank you for his teachings, uh, for the parables, the, the stories he told uh, that remind us uh, of heavenly truths told in earthly language. Uh, so we pray now that we would uh, think about these stories and respond well. Teach us, we pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, this year, as Anna mentioned earlier, we're, we're launching a, a year of renewed evangelism as a church family. Uh, we're calling it Making Jesus Known, uh, so hopefully you'll see this sort of image around. Uh, we're not doing this because none of us are trying to tell others about Jesus, although some of us, I'm sure, aren't. Uh, we're also not doing it because none of us think it's important, although perhaps some of us don't think it is important. Uh, and we're not doing it because it's just a one-off focus for the year and then we can move on to something else. We're doing it to remind ourselves that evangelism, telling others the good news about Jesus, is central to who a Christian ought to be. Uh, why? Because it is central to who Jesus is. In fact, we can go as far as to say as the only reason God became man in the person of Jesus uh, was to save the lost, to bring the good news, to bring the gospel. And when the lost are saved, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We've already started le learning that memory verse with the children earlier, Luke 19, verse 10. He came to make the good news of his kingdom known. His death for our sin on the cross was the good news that frees us from judgment before God, a right judgment. And so he literally brings and is the good news of salvation. Uh, now, the stories uh, we read today are given in response to the, some Jews, the Pharisees particularly, the teachers of the law, who misunderstood what Jesus had come for. In fact, they misunderstood who God was all about. And perhaps we forget this even today. So these stories may help us. Uh, point one, then, they had an attitude Problem. Have a look at verse 1 and 2 if you've got that passage open in front of you. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. This is a context of which Jesus responds. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering, gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Muttering's never good, is it? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, now, we read, read this, don't we? And, and most of us are probably thinking, how naive are those Pharisees? Of course Jesus came to save sinners, even those betraying uh, their people, the tax collectors, working for the enemy occupation, Rome, the Romans, and collecting money. Uh, but I wonder how different we would be. I wonder how different we are today. 
Uh, Jesus would not just be joining us here on Sunday, uh, eating in our homes and getting to know, you know, good company, people like us. He'd be spending time and effort uh, with those we tend to perhaps look down on, uh, perhaps those of different economic situations, whether that's those poorer, poorer than us or those much richer than us, and we just don't associate with them. Of course, the tax collectors were rich. He makes friends with those that we'd rather not. That's what he'd be doing. He'd be having dinner, eating with, as we read here, in the houses of those uh, that we haven't tried to befriend. It's just a bit too hard or they're just too different from us. Uh, Perhaps we wouldn't question him uh, in the same disgusted way as the Pharisees did. Uh, But I've no doubt he'd make us, me, uh, see how judgmental or how indifferent we are to the destiny of those around us who haven't found faith in Jesus yet. I'd no doubt he'd show me I've got an attitude problem towards those who I think are perhaps just a bit too unworthy or there's just not really any hope for them. So Jesus responds to that attitude problem with three parables, three stories. Uh, They contain a rebuke, but I think much more these parables are an invitation to something wonderful. It's an invitation to think as our Heavenly Father thinks. It's an invitation that asks, will you rejoice with me, the Heavenly Father, when the lost are found? It's an invitation. Evangelism is, in fact, according to these parables, a search for our joy as we join in with the joy of the Heavenly Father when the lost are found. It might be hard. It might be challenging to tell people about Jesus, to invite them to church. It might not often be very fruitful. But it is a search that brings joy to our Heavenly Father, and therefore it should do to us. So let's dig into these parables. So our second point, we're looking through the parables. Uh, the lost are, firstly, utterly lost. Uh, think about each story with me. Uh, first of all, as a lost sheep. Uh, and our sheep clearly has no hope of finding its own way home. Otherwise, you wouldn't go looking for it, would you? Uh, Most of you know I worked with uh, shepherds in Lesotho, Southern Africa, for three years. And I heard a lot of stories about sheep. They were never very favourable towards the sheep, but none of them involved a sheep finding its own way back to the flock or to the corral at night. Uh, In the parable, even once the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he has to put it on his shoulders to carry it back. It's not going to just plod along merrily behind, I'll follow you home. It needs picking up or forcibly given direction. It's utterly lost. Or consider the coin uh, that the woman loses in her house. It's not just going to jump back in a money bag all by its own account. It's not even going to roll into a convenient place to find. Ever found anything you've lost in a convenient place? No, that's the point of being lost. It's utterly lost. Ah, but you're thinking, well, the lost son, he does come back all by himself. So he's not utterly lost. He can save himself. Well, no, because his lostness in the story has nothing to do with where he is geographically. It has everything to do, as we see later with the older son, everything to do with relationship with the father. So he takes his share of the inheritance uh, and he squanders it in wild living. He ends up starving and working on a pig farm. Uh, And when he goes back to his father, he does so in repentance, yes, 
but he does not expect to go back found. He does not expect to go back as a son, but as a servant. Have a look at verse 17 and to 19. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Uh, Life will be better, but he's still lost. Utterly lost relationally with his father. Unless, of course, we know what his father does, the father chooses to find him. Someone else has to step in to restore him. Just as a shepherd did, just as the woman in the house did. He had no rights, no worth, no hope. In fact, his father calls him as good as dead when he was lost until he restores him to sonship. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The lost before God the Father are as utterly lost and incapable of salvation as a lost sheep or or an inanimate coin or perhaps more easily comparable a lost son who has deliberately turned their back on their father Uh, the lost have no rights before a heavenly father to demand salvation as if they're good enough no reason that the father would give it to them no ability to save themselves and make themselves right with the creator god of the universe All people belong to God the Father, but all have turned their backs and run away, and all are utterly lost. They will all face, rightly, an eternity of utter lostness against God's terrible, just judgment. A lost sheep stuck in a crevice, unable to free itself, just getting hungrier every day. Or a lost coin that's rolled into a crack in the floor, Never found. Uh, One day that house is demolished and another one's built on top and down and down it goes. Or a lost child of God. Given everything and every chance to know the Father, but in ignorance or pride, too stubborn to realise before it's too late. These are the people, the Pharisees, don't think Jesus should be eating and talking with. Uh, These, perhaps, are the people we don't think are worthy of our effort or sacrifice or energy to take the gospel to. But these are also exactly the people we once were or would be without Jesus. You see, Christians are not better people. Uh, They're just found people. We're not better than the lost. We've just been found because someone has brought us Jesus. Anyone without the gospel and responding in faith to the Lord Jesus is utterly lost. But the parables don't stop there. They're also deeply loved. See, Jesus is very clear in these three parables that being lost is not only a terrible thing for the individual who is lost, But it's terrible for the person who has lost them. So the shepherd is distraught because his sheep has gone. 
The, the woman is desperate because her coin has gone. The father makes every effort to restore his son. He's keeping an eye out and when he's a long way off he sees him. So verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? It is well worth the small risk of leaving 99 together. Uh, They'll be easy to find again, they'll strengthen numbers, but the shepherd will make the sacrifice and he'll go and he'll look and he'll search. Well, verse 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. She lights a lamp, which to imagine a, probably a, a poor woman in a windowless house with a low door. So she has to light the lamp and she sweeps every corner. She searches carefully. No stern, stone to be left unturned, quite literally. Such is the value of the lost. Now, of course, the, the sheep and the coin, they're of economic value, aren't they? Uh, rather than objects of great love. It's not like the women loved the coin so much. They're of economic value. They're highly valuable. But the point's clarified when we come to the sons, isn't it? Where in fact the father has taken a huge economic loss. He's given away what probably would have been about a third of his estate, uh, which would be what would be due the younger son in those times. Uh, he's given that up, and when the son returns, there's, there's not even a mention of that debt, the economic loss. It's completely ignored when he returns. Such is his love for the son. The father sees the son in the distance. Uh, he's been waiting and watching each day in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The sheep is deeply valuable, the coin is deeply valuable, the son is deeply valuable. The lost children of God, you and I, those who still don't know but are being called home, are deeply valuable to God the Father. They are deeply loved. In our lostness, uh, there is a difficult, careful, sacrificial search going on so that we may be found and restored to the love of the Father. So difficult and painful that Jesus had to die on a cross for you and me, to raise us from death to life, so that we once were lost and now are found. That is how deeply loved the utterly lost sinners are before God. And when one is found, well, well, no wonder, There is great rejoicing in heaven. And that's the solution for the Pharisees. That's why Jesus tells these stories. Perhaps it's the solution for us and our attitudes about our evangelism sometimes. So our attitude solution is to rejoice with the Father. The whole point of these parables, these stories, is to ask the Pharisees, will you rejoice when the lost are found? Will you keep this selfish, judgmental attitude towards the lost. You see it in every parable. Verse 7, I tell you that the same, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Will you rejoice with the Father when the lost are found? Verse 10, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Will you rejoice with the Father in heaven 
And it's why the older brother in the final story reappears at the end of the last parable. He hears the music, he's coming back in from the fields. He hears that a fattened calf has been slaughtered to celebrate his wayward brother returning. And he's not happy. Verse 29, he answers his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He's actually as selfish as the lost son, isn't he? He also wants parties and economic gain, when all the while he has missed the point of being found, the thing the younger son discovers when he returns, what it really means to be found. So verse 31, what is God's response to the lost sinner? What is the father's response to the older son? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. The antidote to our indifference to evangelism or even our refusal to want others to be saved is to recognize all we have from God the Father and rejoice with him. We too were once lost sheep. Perhaps you're here today and you're still a lost sheep. But if we accept the death and the resurrection of Jesus, accept all that he's done for us in our place, we can be forgiven. We can be found. We are raised to new life. We don't get economic gain or popularity. Rather, we get to go home. We enter relationship with our Heavenly Father, who gave us his own son to be the shepherd who finds and saves us. God actually promised Uh, If you like the fulfillment of these uh, parables, way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus told them in Ezekiel 34, I put them on the screen, verse 11, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. That is what we have when we're found in Jesus. Well, verse 15 of Ezekiel 34, I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Reminding us of Psalm 23, we lie down in still, uh, by still waters and green pastures. Or 31 of the same chapter, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. When we revel in the love of the Father, rejoice at our salvation and his deep care for us, we enjoy our eternal status as sons of the living God. Then when we hear of the lost being found, well, when we want to join in that celebration, you see the eldest son at the end, deliberately, we don't know what he's going to do. He has a choice to make, verse 32. The father continues, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's an invitation, isn't it? Will you join the celebration? Will you join in with looking for the lost who are just like we once were? Will you call them home? We don't know what the eldest son decided But we do know what we can decide. And we will find the lost and rejoice. 
See, this year is a chance for us to renew our desire to see the lost saved from death and judgment and to be found, to be brought home, to be made brothers and sisters with us. The eldest son couldn't even call his brother a brother. He says, this son of yours, we want to welcome in the lost as brothers and sisters in God's love. It is a chance to have a year where we truly rejoice and celebrate when the lost are found, when baptisms take place, when the gospel is declared. This is a year to invite your friends and neighbours to church, to speak unashamedly of our faith. Uh, We'll have more uh, training and we'll have evangelistic events this year, but it really isn't about waiting for those things. It's about telling people at work or at school Uh, that you went to church on Sunday, so a conversation can begin. It's about inviting existing friends to church or to youth group on any given Sunday or to a social with your home groups uh, or to Friday youth events. It's about, about making an effort to befriend and eat with and talk with new people, new friends, just as Jesus did. It's about offering to perhaps read the Bible one-to-one with people you know. Uh, You might be surprised. They might say, yes, we've we've even got some resources uh, to help you. Uh, There's there's about four out there, so be quick. But in the next few weeks, we'll be interviewing one or two people who have used these. Uh, Just a great way to read the Bible uh, with people who don't know the Lord Jesus. Expose them to Jesus in his gospel. Uh, Invite your neighbours over. Talk at the school gate, play sport with a colleague or a school friend, chat at the sideline of whatever sport your child is playing, or if you're the child, make friends on the sports field. Make an effort to get to know the lost, to love them as Jesus did, to be confident in your faith because he's given you everything and we have security with our Heavenly Father. And perhaps most importantly, let's pray. Pray at every home group. If you're in a home group, if you're not, I'd encourage you to join one. Do talk to me if you're not. Pray that you want to see the lost saved. Pray every day. Pray for opportunities to talk. Pray for new friends to meet. Pray for God to move by his spirit to change the hearts of the lost you meet. Come to prayer meetings. We'll be praying every month uh, for the lost. Pray with us before the services where we pray that God's word would speak to the hearts of those that don't know him. Pray that Jesus will seek and find the lost through his sheep, his church. Why? Because Jesus has found you. We now have everything and he wants us to find them. And we as a church, as a family, as a people... Don't we want to rejoice this year? Don't we want to join the parties in heaven every time a lost soul is saved? So pray that we, with God's help, will make Jesus known. Let's pray now. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, perhaps we feel uh, a little uh, bad about our attitudes towards the lost. Uh, So we pray you would take that, turn it to prayers of repentance. And call us, change us, remind us of all you've given us, that we are sons and daughters of you, that we are with you, we have everything we need, that you have found us. And may we be renewed in our energy and our uh, uh, excitement and our effort and our sacrifice and our time to reach the lost with your gospel. Help us to make new friends, perhaps with those who, 
before we are dismissed. Help us to speak of our faith so that people know where to come when their life is hard. Help us to have the confidence to ask some to read the Bible with us. Help us to invite uh, friends or colleagues or uh, those that we know in the community to come to church, to come to events, to join us. Help us simply to make friends and have people to our homes so that we can introduce them to you. We thank you that you have given us everything, that you are the good shepherd who laid down his life so that we may have life from death. And we ask that you'd help us this year to glorify your name and to rejoice with you as lost the lost are found. Amen.